Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another exciting episode of Rossafari Zoo News, your look at all things happening in the worlds of zoos, aquariums, conservation organizations, and general animal weirdness. Uh, for those of you who are new, welcome. This is a crowdsourced news program, and you can participate by sending in zoo-related stories to me. You can email them, rossafaripod at gmail.com, or uh, tag me in them on social medias, which you should, you know, be following Rossafari at anyway. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Rossafari, and uh, on TikTok at Pod. All right, so this is the segment of the show where I tend to update y'all on what is going on in my life. And if you happen to have been looking on my Instagram recently, then you already know the answer, which is that yesterday on Thursday, March 2nd, Zoe and I went and got our first tattoos, and I am so excited about them both. Before I tell you about the tattoos, though, I need to tell you that I don't know if this is what it's like all over the place or not, but we had an absolutely horrible time, uh, like, setting up an actual appointment to actually get our tattoos. Uh, it just seems like there are a whole lot of people who tattoo who book months in advance, which I totally respect. But then there's a whole other tier who who book out a little bit, but who kind of, pardon my language, but seem to feel the need to be dicks about it. Uh, we reached out to multiple places in our area and we encountered so many artists who have these weird kind of arcane rules that if you don't follow to the T, they charge you an extra 10 bucks here or 20 bucks there. And it was very not inviting. It's, it's not that I mind. Look, I get it. People are stupid. I, I do a weekly news podcast where we always end up talking about the stupidity of people and how it is hurting animals. I get it. But, um, you know, I don't know, there should be some form of like invitedness to people doing tattoos. And we just did not find that for, frankly, a really long time. But I am pleased to announce that uh, we went to Modern Love Tattoo in Buffalo, New York, and found a place that was really open and just very, I don't know, they just, you know, seemed genuinely happy that we were there and that we wanted to give them money for them putting needles with ink in our body. And uh, they did a great job. The tattoos look incredible, and I'm super excited. Uh, so my tattoo 
is uh, my four favorite species. Um, so I've got a sea turtle and there's some water on the tattoo. And then there's a tree that has a uh, red panda, a bintrong, and a tree kangaroo in it. And Zoe designed the artwork and it's it's very cool. I'm very excited about it. And uh, you're going to be seeing a lot more of it. And we'll talk about that in a second. Zoe got um, four paw prints on her wrist. And the, the impetus behind that, and I think this is very cool, is uh, I know I told you all recently that back in, in October, um, our, our dog Caleb passed away. And Caleb is uh, just just the pillar of, of Zoe's dog life to this point. Definitely her, her favorite thing ever. Um, and it was, it was really tough. And so Zoe got paw prints from Caleb, uh, you know, after he passed away and, uh, traced those paw prints and then shrunk them down to wrist size. And three of them are just an outline. And then one of them is completely filled in black because Caleb had one black paw and three white paws. So, uh, pretty excited about both of our tattoos. Then they're both pretty adorable and awesome. And I love that they have meaning to us. Although I will say that a lot of my like tattoo friends think it's really funny that we put so much thought into our tattoos and and told me that oftentimes they just go get a random tattoo. So, you know, maybe we're doing it wrong, but it makes us happy. And that's that's what matters. And so you may notice that this uh, this tattoo of mine is not just going to be sitting on my right bicep, but is also now going to be part of the new artwork for the podcast. If you look at your Zoo News um, kind of black and white print cover that I put on these this week, you will notice that the old logo part is gone. It has been replaced by this new one. And uh, starting with Tuesday's episode, and also actually starting today, if you back download any episodes, you you should see the brand new artwork, which is my tattoo and then uh, my name and my mission statement. So, um, yeah, we're, we're trying something different. And there's a reason behind this. So I'm going to pontificate for a moment here. Um, I think this is podcast worthy. This is not just my own life stuff, but I've been doing a lot of research uh, on um, just the impact of social media on conservation. And I just read a study recently that suggests not having too many photos or videos of people interacting with endangered animals. The uh, The study specifically focused on orangutans, but um, the authors firmly believed that it can apply to all other species. They said that it increased the negative reactions that some people had towards um, the species and the photos. And I'm really torn on this. As I was reading the study and reading some other stuff about this, it's not, I can't say it's completely decided science yet. And I will tell you that I'm going to continue to post videos and photos on Ross Safari of me interacting with animals. Um, I think I need to do a better job of saying that this is in a safe zoological setting and that these animals are not pets. And I'm, I'm going to make sure that I, I do a better job with that. But as people are searching for animal podcasts or for zoo podcasts or whatever, if my logo pops up and it is a picture of my face and a red panda's face and the red panda is touching my hand, while I think that, you know, 
that that picture was so great for a logo because it's literally my goal with this podcast to connect y'all to the people and animals in these facilities. If if that picture can lead people to have a negative first reaction, then they're not going to come in and hear the amazing stories and they're not going to get the amazing information and I'm not going to get to share the incredible stories and the incredible animals with those people. So we're changing it up. We're going to go with this new look. Uh, it also makes me happy because for a while now, I've thought it would be cool to get the Rasafari logo tattooed on me, but um, I'm not getting my own stupid face tattooed on my body. It just doesn't seem right. So this is a way around that as well. So I hope y'all enjoy the new logo. And um, yeah, so that's that's that. I got a tattoo. We got a new logo. Life is good. Let's get to Zoo News. Well, it's one for the pennies, two for the bears. For the markers, now you should care. Now, won't you listen to Zoot News? Oh, you could do anything, but why not listen to Zoot News? Well, it's a All right. And so we're going to start off with a story out of Omaha's uh, Henry Dorley Zoo uh, that uh, I'm not a big fan of. And I'm getting sick of reporting on these stories, to be honest. Now, I love the Henry Dorley Zoo. I do. It's wonderful there. But um, this story really has me concerned because earlier this week, a cheetah got out of its primary enclosure. It was still behind the public barrier, and once it got out, it uh, laid down, and it was just relaxing. Uh, Nobody was hurt. Uh, Everybody was, you know, taken care of properly. Zoo staff had sight of the cheetah the entire incident. Um, The animal care team went in and was able to walk the cheetah back into its night quarters without incident or intervention. Uh, But as of this time... Uh, the zoo does not know how the cheetah got out. And y'all, I got to be honest with you. I don't even know which of the two most likely answers I want it to be. You know, is this a situation like Ben in St. Louis, the, the bear that has escaped twice now and is figuring out ways out of its exhibit? Or is this a situation of vandalism again? Because one of them shows neglect on the part of the zoo, and that's not okay and that's not good and the other of them is vandalism and crime and showing that those copycats from dallas are still happening and that's not okay and that's not good so i i don't know i'll be curious to see what they end up announcing but uh it's been a lot of weeks in a row where i've been talking about this kind of stuff and i would i would like to stop i I would i would like to stop All right. Now, on a happier note, the National Zoo has announced that it is finally opening its brand new aviary. This aviary, known as the Birdhouse, is completely refurbished. I've been going to the National Zoo for the last couple of years, at least a couple times each year, and uh, have been eagerly awaiting this to finally reopen. It is a $69 million aviary. It took six years to build, and um, it's, it's actually like one building with three separate aviaries where visitors walk amongst birds, and then there's also an outdoor area where birds are kept in enclosures. There are over 170 birds in the birdhouse and immediately outside it, and the idea is just to create not 
only a place where humans and birds can be in the same space, but also to have a place of serenity, of calm, of peacefulness. Uh, I really can't wait to go check this place out. And I actually, I think I get to in like a week or two. So uh, I'll let you know what I think if that works out. But yeah, nice to have the aviary back open at the National Zoo. This next story isn't so much zoo news as just kind of a suggestion on how you can help your local zoo if you have some time. We always talk about donating money to your local zoo or volunteering if you can, being docents, all that good kind of stuff. But did you know that a lot of zoos are really hurting to find frontline workers right now? And what I'm talking about here is everything from ticket takers to working concessions to uh, gift shop employees. You would be amazed at how plugged in all of those different roles are to the overall process at the zoo. Um, I mean, you've heard, you know, Colleen Lenahan on here from the Akron Zoo talking about how her work in the gift shop has really connected her to animals and brought her a lot of passion about the animals. And, and she's she's even on the emergency response team and gets to help out with PR and stuff. She's a gift shop employee who is just really doing a lot of work uh, around the animals, you know? And so it could be something like that. But um, it could also just be that you're, you know, selling pretzels to crazy people like me who like zoo pretzels more than almost anything in the world. Uh, but the point here is that we've talked a lot about this fact before, but a lot of zoos are closing one day a week now or two days a week now or during the slow seasons are only open on the weekends or whatever. And a lot of times the reasoning of that is that um, they're having a hard time getting people to do like the custodial work at the zoo or to keep the gift shop open. And at some point when staffing numbers become a real problem, the zoo just has to shut down. It's not about the keeper staff so much because, as you all know, they're there every day regardless of whether the zoo's open or not. It's these other positions that zoos are having a hard time filling staffing for um, that you know are causing the zoo to have to close down. So you're missing out on zoo time. I'm missing out on zoo time. And um, it's it's because of jobs that many of us could just go and do. So if you happen to be looking for part-time work or seasonal work or anything like that, go to your zoo. See what they've got. It might not be animal related, but I guarantee you, you're going to have more fun selling food when you're surrounded by awesome animals at a zoo than you are selling food at a... Um, what are those places called? Restaurants. There it is. Sorry, my brain isn't fully working today, and I'm leaving that in because I think that was really funny. But yes, a restaurant where you just have to put up with people without pandas. Think about it. Some of the Red Panda SSP movements have started, and I've had people sending me information about those. So since I know I have a lot of pandas that listen, I thought I would share a couple of interesting ones. Bo, a seven-year-old male red panda, has arrived at the Nashville Zoo on a breeding recommendation uh, to hopefully make babies with female panda Mei Lin there. The previous male there, Rowan, has moved on to Lincoln Children's Zoo. 
Zoo Knoxville has announced that Jackie, the red panda that started out at the National Zoo and then moved down to Zoo Atlanta, has now gone to Zoo Knoxville as part of SSP movement. And uh, that's that's pretty exciting. I've always really loved Jackie, and now he'll get to hang out with our good buddy Sarah Glass. But along with that, Zoo Atlanta has announced that they've gotten not one, but two brand new red pandas. Their names are Ruby and Rose, and they are two female red pandas. Uh, They actually traveled there from Zoo Knoxville, so it was just a two-for-one trade, I suppose. Uh, They are currently being um, quarantined, so it'll be a little while until people can see them on display. But if you are a fan of Zoo Atlanta and the Red Panda program there, which was Iggy and then Jackie, now you have two new pandas, Ruby and Rose, to go and check out. And speaking of animals showing up at new facilities, I've got another really exciting story about another one of my favorite species. Uh, But I'm not going to tell it to you. I recently went to Aquarium of Niagara and spoke to Eric Walsh there, and you'll be hearing that full episode coming up soon. But uh, in the meantime, here's some exciting news from Eric directly. Hello again. So this is Eric from the Aquarium of Niagara and a great time talking with John last time. And uh, like you, like he said, he, you have been sitting on this information very well. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> uh, but the aquarium is very excited to announce the addition of a Kim's Ridley sea turtle. Ooh! So for those of you who don't know, uh, Kim's Ridley is the smallest and one of the most endangered species of sea turtles. You know, you, you see those giant uh, leatherbacks or everybody knows the green sea turtle. Um, this is not that. This is a smaller species, uh, about the size of a large serving platter or or little bigger than a dinner plate, probably a big dinner plate. Um, a little more dusky in color, um, much more endangered. Um, and it's a really exciting addition for the Aquarium of Niagara. If you've been to the aquarium, um, you've noticed that even though we haven't had a the public announcement or hadn't had the public announcement, um, you saw a uh, exhibit that was covered up in panels uh, with a excellently executed pun called scoot over someone new was coming in <laughs> referencing sea turtle scoots um, and had kids the opportunity to guess what was coming um, but this is a really exciting day for the aquarium and we are bringing in a uh, sea turtle that was part of actually a recovery program through NOAA fisheries and basically these sea turtles back in the 80s were on the brink of extinction uh, due to egg harvesting, hunting, bycatch, all that fun stuff, or not fun stuff, I should say. And so a lot of these turtles were hatched under human care in an effort to uh, increase that population. As that population did increase, these animals under human care, um, the program was discontinued. So these animals under human care needed homes. And since they were raised under human care and had been under human care for an extended period of time in the event that they needed to be, um, they had then become non-releasable. So they needed zoos and aquariums to sort of adopt, if you will, these animals. Um, and then those that were assessed by us fish and wildlife and NOAA to be non-releasable were kind of put on this list saying, Hey, these animals need home. And as we were looking at our collection planning, and like you said, the stories that we look to tell, um, and that impact we have, we said, you know what, I think we can make this work. We can, we can bring these animals in and, uh, the, the rest is history. So it's been a pretty extensive process, complete exhibit renovation, a lot of permitting, um, a lot of preparing, um, making sure that our staff is prepared, making sure that the exhibits are prepared, make sure the aquarium's prepared. Um, but we are all systems go and uh, we, we have a new friend. 
I'm so excited. Thanks for sharing, man. My pleasure. And actually, um, there's another bit of baby news that I've been sitting on for a while about another one of my favorite species that has finally been announced to the public, and I am so stinking excited. Arona, the female tree kangaroo at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, welcomed a joey on august 21st of last year the last six months have been spent with this tree kangaroo growing in mama's pouch and she's just started poking her nose out to say hello she is the first joey for arona and beck and only the second one ever born at the park uh at about eight to ten months of age um, so about two to four months from now, the uh, the baby will start to be seen, possibly on exhibit. But the thing that is crazy about this to me, y'all should be so proud of me, because when Zoe and I were on our honeymoon, we did a behind-the-scenes tour in the Australia section of the safari park, and guess what? We found out that there was a Joey there. We got to see Arona. We didn't see the Joey because the Joey was, you know, very, very, very tiny still. But um, we got to be back there. We got to see that. And we, we just saw a sign that said something about Joey's. And I was like, oh, 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 is this a thing? And we we were told specifically that we couldn't announce it on the podcast until um, they made the public announcement. So I have been sitting on... <laughs> A really exciting sea turtle fact and a really exciting tree kangaroo fact for literally months now. And the fact that they both became public uh, within just a few days of each other is a lot of fun for me. But I'm I'm so excited about the tree kangaroo Joey at the safari park. Yay! And sticking with our birth theme for now, Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo recently announced the birth of a baby swamp monkey, the first one born at Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo since 2009. Uh, the parents are Luella and Fenn, and uh, the baby is currently visible on exhibit as the parents are raising the baby on exhibit. Um, this is pretty exciting because swamp monkeys aren't a particularly common species in zoos in general. And uh, as I said, it's been quite a while since Cleveland's been able to have a successful birth. So that is that's really exciting. Congrats to everyone at the Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo. Also, while we're, we're talking about exciting births and rare births, the first ever baby pangolin born in Europe was born at the Prague Zoo recently and is doing very well. It has a stuffed walrus that it is friends with and likes to cling to, which makes me happy. And uh, yeah, what can I say? It's just it's just really exciting news. There aren't a lot of pangolins in captivity and every birth is important as it is um, the most trafficked animal in the world. So it's it's really exciting to to hear about births like that. Um, there's also been a new baby Cape porcupine born at the Chattanooga Zoo. And the Chattanooga Zoo is asking for your help in naming said baby. It's a porcupet, although we know it's really a porklet. 
<laughs> I gotta stop doing this. I'm never gonna stop doing this. But yeah, so if you would like to go help name the porklet, then uh, you can just go to the Chattanooga Zoo's social media pages, and they will actually link you to the Tennessee Valley Federal Credit Union, which is sponsoring this contest. Um, and it doesn't cost anything. You can uh, like, love, care, or wow, and your reaction will be recorded. A like is for the name Nickel Prickles, love is for Piper Prickles, care is for Dill Prickles, and wow is for Quilizabeth Prickles. So those are the four potential names. And actually, while we're talking about naming contests, uh, there's also a penguin naming contest happening. The Milwaukee County Zoo is having a contest to name their new penguin chick or penglet. And um, if you participate, you can also be entered to win a zoo ticket package. So you can go and do this by going to mkezoo.com slash penguin name. So yay new babies and yay getting to help name some of them. On the flip side of that coin, uh, we've got a couple of deaths to discuss. Zoo New England announced the passing of their longtime resident, Pado Chaga. Um, this is a, a small animal that usually lives in red-lit habitats because they are nocturnal. Um, and when Chaga died at the age of 33 years old, he was the oldest pato living in North American zoos because 33 years old is an insanely long age for a pato to live. So it speaks to the amazing, amazing work done by the team at Zoo New England to take care of this incredible, incredible animal and uh, sending our condolences to the entire team there. Speaking of condolences, we also have to say goodbye to an absolutely beautiful cheetah. Bud, a cheetah that was eight years old that lived at the Maryland Zoo, recently had to be humanely euthanized after a long period of gastrointestinal illness. Digestive diseases can be common in cheetahs, but Bud's symptoms were extensive and complex, and because of that, keepers had to do a ton of extra work. The zoo veterinarians and even external veterinary specialists were all brought in to try to come up with a multifaceted treatment plan. For a while, the plan seemed to be working, but at the end of the day, the condition slowly worsened and it became clear that it was not okay to try to keep Bud around, so he was euthanized. It's always hard to make a decision like that, but I always respect the people who have to, so sending our condolences to the team at the Maryland Zoo. And then we've got one more loss to discuss, and it is a, a bit of a doozy, y'all. Um, sadly, a... Uh, 10-year-old polar bear named Milk, who lived in captivity in Japan, uh, has passed away. Unfortunately, Milk and Kiroru, a uh, male polar bear there, um, were, were, were going through the mating process. And something went south, and they turned from uh, lovers to fighters. And unfortunately, uh, Kiroru was able to kill Milk before uh, they were able to recall the bear and separate them. Uh, you know, this kind of thing happens. Uh, polar bears often fight when they breed, and it's it's really sad, um, especially with captive populations being so low. This is, this is a big loss. But, uh, you know, 
that's what happens sometimes when you are dealing with live animals, especially ones that have very complex mating behaviors and also, frankly, can have a lot of uh, violence and hostility. So, uh, yeah, it's sad to see that happen, but sometimes it does. On a happier note, our friends at Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo uh, announced that recently uh, some members of the Mexican Wolf Recovery Program went to the zoo on a sperm collection mission. Um, So they were there getting semen samples from the two male Mexican gray wolves that live at the zoo. The Mexican gray wolf was declared extinct in the wild back in 1980 and um, has since had a population reintroduced uh, from seven founders. And while it's awesome that that population was reintroduced and is doing okay, it's not thriving, but it's doing okay. You know, the whole human-wolf conflict thing that we talk about a lot on here. Um, But unfortunately, when you only have seven founders in a population, you're not going to have a ton of genetic diversity. So by taking this semen and then um, using it out there and trying to use it either in animals that will then be placed in the wild or in animals that are in the wild, uh, you can bring some really important genetic diversity as well as, you know, increasing the population numbers. So it's really cool that zoos are participating in this kind of thing. And these are the kind of things that like, not only is it super cool that Beardsley Zoo is doing this, but I feel like when there are studies done and when people talk about reintroductory programs and stuff like that, Um, these are the types of things that don't always get credit given to zoos because it's hard to say what exactly this falls under. Beardsley Zoo is not raising wolves for reintroduction. However, they are helping with the program that is maintaining the reintroduced population and are introducing new genetic diversity into that population in a unique way. So uh, I I think these are the types of stories that we need to share more about and we need to tell people about. And I will say, Beardsley does a great job. They actually sent me a press release about this. So like they really do a nice job um, getting this information out there. But uh, yeah, I just think as I look at the types of, of things that people, you know, go and look into. And I've I've had people say to me, you know, the AZA zoos combined say that they only help with the recovery of 40 species. And that's that's not really true. It it goes a lot deeper than that with programs like this. And now we're going to end our zoo news segment with a couple of fun little stories. Our great friends at Elmwood Park Zoo are trying to partner with their local community to install jaguar statues around their community uh, in hopes of celebrating the 100-year anniversary of the zoo being a part of Norristown and the surrounding area. I remember when I was growing up and uh, some organization, I don't even know who, put cows all around Harrisburg and it was a big deal. And I I know some other places do this. I am all about this and I will go and check out all of the Jaguar statues. So I I hope this works out. I know that they have one confirmed partner already and hopefully more will be coming on the way. The Erie Zoo announced that they are going to be hosting a stuffed animal sleepover. Now, you're probably like me and wondering what the heck that is. Well, on March 24th, you can take your stuffed friend to the Erie Zoo 
and drop them off for the evening where they will have a sleepover at the zoo. Zoo staff will take them around, take pictures of them getting to do cool activities and having a good time before these stuffed friends get to sleep at the zoo. Then on the 25th, you go back to the zoo, you pick up your stuffed friend, you get a digital package of the photos of the awesome time that they had overnight, and you get breakfast and admission to the zoo all day so that you can hang out with your friend and your friend can tell you about the awesome time that they had. Tickets for this event are $20, and just to clarify, only the stuffed animals get to sleep over at the zoo, not the owners of the stuffed animals, but it still seems like a really fun idea and a cool way to raise some money for the zoo. Woodland Park Zoo has announced an upcoming concert series at the zoo that is really awesome. Like, I am probably going to travel across the country to go to at least one of these concerts and honestly would like to go to at least three or four of them, except again, I live a whole country away. Uh, so on June 28th and 29th, the Indigo Girls and Neko Case are going to be there. July 5th is Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. July 6th is Nickel Creek. I freaking love Nickel Creek. July 17th is the Dead South. July 23rd is Blues Traveler with Big Head Todd and the Monsters. Again, I just love Blues Traveler. Uh, August 8th is the Mountain Goats. August 10th is Father John Misty. August 16th is Patty Smith. The 17th is Tegan and Sarah. The 20th is Japanese Breakfast. And on August 23rd, the Flaming Lips will be at Woodland Park Zoo performing the entirety of their absolutely legendary album, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots. I want to go to all of these. And also, uh, last thing for the Zoo News area here is a quick reminder that dinosaur season is upon us. Zoos like Roger Williams Park Zoo and the Philadelphia Zoo have already announced that this summer they are going to be bringing in amniotronic dinosaurs that you can go and see. Often zoos do these for a, an extra fee uh, just as a way to, um, you know, help out uh, getting crowds to come to the zoo. Just in case, you know, red pandas aren't cute enough, you can come and see fake dinosaurs. It's not really my thing, but if it gets butts in the seats, so to speak, then uh, I'm all for it. So if that is your thing, make sure you start to look around for local zoos that are bringing in the dinosaurs. Conservation, conservation, news time. Oh, yeah. I am constantly amazed at the way that conservationists come up with to use technology in new ways to help their mission. Uh, and one of the big things going on in Florida right now is that there are a ton of invasive Burmese pythons just wreaking havoc on the ecosystem, especially in South Florida. Uh, recently, some wildlife researchers studying mammals in Key Largo uh, have come up with an interesting way to track and thus uh, euthanize these uh, invasive snakes. Wildlife researchers were observing raccoon and possum behavior uh, in this area by fitting dozens of those animals with GPS collars and tracking their locations for months. And at one point during the study, one of the possum collars sent out a mortality signal, which was triggered by a lack of movement. 
But then a few hours later, the collar started moving again. And researchers realized that when Burmese pythons squeeze these animals to death and then digest them, that's exactly what it looks like. They'll be sitting there dead for a while, and then they will start moving again as the snake moves on. Thus, the GPS collars that were meant to track the movement of raccoons and possums can also tell scientists exactly where these snakes are, and thus the right authorities can go and remove them from the wild. It's sad in a way, although it's important. Invasive species are bad, y'all. But uh, it's also kind of brilliant. So yeah, that is currently something being used to help cut down on this population problem. Back in 2014, in Crawford County, Pennsylvania, scientists discovered a species known as the digger crayfish. And uh, they immediately started to study the species that was new to them and realized that the population might be as few as a thousand individuals. And in the last few years, they have done what is probably the most extensive study of crayfish ever and have now been working on figuring out exactly how to list the species as whether they are threatened or truly endangered, because that will have an effect on the lands on which they live and everything. But uh, it's just, it's fascinating to me that, you know, in 2014, Pennsylvania didn't know that this species existed, and now they are trying to figure out exactly what level to put it at to save this species from going extinct. Um... It's really interesting to see the process and see how this takes years, even though it's it's a species with a really small population. So I'll be curious to see what ends up happening with the digger crayfish. And, uh, you know, it's just another one of those fascinating stories to follow in the conservation world where you didn't even know there was a problem and now you're desperately working for a solution. And for this last story in conservation news, well, I'm not going to lie. When it was sent to me, I uh, I had to check the source because I, I was pretty sure that this was a hoax. Because, um, well, I'm just going to read you the headline. Highly intelligent and possibly invincible super pigs are invading America. Y'all, this is popular mechanics. So, like, this is real. All right, let's talk about this. These aren't super pigs because a spider bit them or they were exposed to gamma radiation or whatever, but they are a hybrid breed of pigs that is a mix of a domestic pig and a wild boar. And this population started running wild in Canada and has now started to uh, run very free and make their way down towards Montana, North Dakota, Minnesota, and Michigan. Because it turns out that despite being super pigs, they can't read a map. Either that or they have a passport. I'm not really, really sure which. But um, these pigs are able to survive in really cold climates, which is uh, surprising and something that other species of pigs are unable to do. Uh, they will feed on literally anything. Um, they can take down a white-tailed deer, uh, even a full adult one. <laughs> A pig hunting a deer, it's something else. Um, and they are also eating tons of goslings and ducklings every spring. So um, this is a species that literally is an invasive species wreaking havoc on the uh, local environment wherever they show up. So 
obviously the first step in taking care of this was to uh, set out some hunters to go and hunt the pigs and get some ham and bacon and also get rid of this population. But the super pigs have actually gotten really good at fending off the hunters. Um, sometimes an entire group of pigs, which is known as a sounder, uh, will become nocturnal to avoid daytime hunting. Also, uh, the the sounders will sometimes disperse. Uh, they they will change their patterns. They will split up into multiple smaller sounders, and they will retreat to inhospitable areas where humans can't follow them. It's uh, really really interesting. <laughs> to see how good they are at outsmarting humans. So far, the best strategy used at reining them in has been um, strapping a GPS collar onto a single pig in a sounder, if you can get to one, and then following that collar back to the full uh, you know, group and, and being able to get rid of them that way. But yeah, super pigs are real and are invading America. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, now, right now, right now, it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the podcast. Some photos and videos of a killer whale adult caring for a newborn pilot whale have gone viral. However, it might not be as cute as it seems. Uh, a lot of people are just kind of assuming that the orca in question has decided to foster the pilot whale baby that... Um, maybe got lost from its mother, and maybe this is one of those cute stories that will get turned into a Disney movie. However, scientists don't think that's necessarily what has happened. Instead, they think that it is very possible that the orca kidnapped the pilot whale and is keeping it alive to grow it up to a bigger size to eat it. So uh, they don't know for sure, and they are tracking it. This is the first time that anything like this has ever been seen to happen before. But yeah, um, it's it's very possible that a uh, an orca has kidnapped a pilot whale and is grooming it to eat it later. That's not as cute as the other story. Sorry. But on a cuter note, um, you know, one of the things that made me sad a while ago was when uh, Turning Red didn't get quite as popular as we had all hoped, and it was pulled from theaters and went streaming only and everything. Turns out that uh, Pixar is still committed to the character, and uh, the red panda from it, May, will be um, making her first appearance as a costumed character at the Disneyland in Shanghai later this year. And uh, that generally means that um, May will be making her way to the Florida and California Disneys that we have in this country. So hopefully there will be a very large red panda reminding children of how awesome the species is at those parks. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right, y'all, it is officially March, and that means it is Dolphin Awareness Month, and even more importantly, it's my birth month! Yay! Why is no one else cheering? Aw. Well, anyway, 
Um, the 6th to the 10th of March is known as National Aardvark Week. And March 3rd, the day you're listening to this, if you're a Gold Star member who listens on the day these podcasts drop, is World Wildlife Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. And a reminder that it's my birth month. All right. Well, there we have it, folks. Another week of Zoo News is in the books. Uh, I'd like to remind you all that I have a Patreon and that you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. And I'd like to say thank you to my Red Panda level patrons, Lara Shank and Kristen Dickey. On top of that, I would also like to say a very big thank you and welcome to Melissa Reed, who has joined the Patreon family. Thank you for your support, Melissa. It's nice to have you on board, and I hope you're enjoying your bonus audio from a bunch of previous episodes. Uh, and then I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who contributed stories to Zoo News this week. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Megan Barrett, Emily Rockbuck, Liz Dunlevy, Jesse Nicole, Mary Blair, and Lisa Clare. And uh, hey, remember, friends, the words newsy credits backwards are Stiderk Yuswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.